Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Good morning. I just can't believe we're not going to hear your voice anymore, Chad. So beautiful. Uh, it's really good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, if we have not met before, my name is Maggie Knight, and I am the children's pastor here at DCC. And I just love it when I get the opportunity to stand up here on the platform and share with you, which is something I do um, a couple times a year, every so often. And it's certainly, as you would imagine, a bit of a different vibe for me than a typical Sunday in DCC Kids. Normally, I get to spend my morning with 100 plus kiddos ages zero through fifth grade, 20 plus volunteers directly below where you are sitting right now, right below this room. It's fun, it's chaotic, it's loud, it's amazing. Uh, And chances are, if you don't have kids yourself or you are not on my volunteer team, that might come as a really big surprise to you that there's like a whole nother world happening simultaneously to the one that we're living in right now. Pretty cool. Uh, And when I'm up here with you all, I am immediately reminded that you guys all have better bladder control and there's way less nose picking than I normally see. And like the bar was really low. So uh, great job. All of that to say, I'm amongst adults today, and that's really refreshing, and I just want to thank you all so much for being here with us this morning. Now, if you have been following along this summer, either online or here in person, we've been in this section of our teaching calendar. It's something that we do every summer where we invite several staff and friends of our church to come share, to come and teach And this allows our lead pastor, Michael, the opportunity to take the summer to plan our content for the upcoming year, uh, which is super valuable, but it also allows us to hear from a variety of different voices. So it's a win-win. And this summer has been all about the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And we've invited folks to share what stirs within them about this ancient prayer and why it continues to be compelling all of these lifetimes later. Now, personally for me, I grew up in the non-denominational boon of the late 1990s and early aughts, so I did not grow up with a ton of familiarity around the Lord's Prayer. I didn't. I just, it wasn't part of our everyday. 
So a formative part of this for me was this recurring experience that I had as a tween where I would do a sleepover at someone's house. I loved sleepovers because I love junk food. Uh, so, you know, like Little Caesars, Little Debbie, the whole, all of them, the whole crew is there. Um, and we were a Snackwell family, if you know what I mean. So uh, it was pretty novel for me to have access to someone else's pantry for a night. That was pretty cool for me. And I also really like seeing other people's houses. So I'm kind of weird like that. So I just loved it. I loved being invited to sleep over at someone's house. It was just a delight with one caveat, which is that at times, if you slept over at someone's house who was religious, you may go to church with their family in the morning, uh, which is what happened to me when I was 12, and I had just moved here to Colorado, and I had slept over at my neighbor Katie Garvin's house. Shout out to Katie. I hope she's doing well, whatever she's up to. Uh, and her family was deeply Catholic. So um, I'm sure the night before, because this was like a common occurrence, I'm sure the night before we made up a dance to Spice Girls uh, and passed out after too much surge and pizza, as one does, uh, and we woke up and prepared to go to Catholic Church. So rolled up my Coleman sleeping bag, jump in her mom's minivan, and we're, we're off. We're going to church. And it is such a trip to be at someone else's church on a Sunday morning. We do this thing where we don't notice. We get super comfortable with what's familiar to us, and we don't realize the funny things, the quirks, the rituals, the habits that make our place of worship what it is. We're kind of blind to it. So when the whole church stood in sync, not the band, although I'm almost positive the year would have been perfect for that, but they stood in sync and recited the Lord's Prayer or as they call it, the Our Father. Uh, and they're reciting it from memory. So I'm floored. Uh, this seemed to me like for the Garvins and everyone else in the room, like this is the way to pray. This is how you do it. And I'm just trying to blend in at this point. Uh, I did that thing that you do where you mouth the words. You're just like hoping no one's paying attention. You're just like, uh, but I would pipe up really loud if there was a word that I did know because uh, I wanted to make sure that people knew that I wasn't faking it. Uh, and there were a few I knew, but I got caught up in the different translations and verbiage. You know, like certain people are going to say sinners, debtors. I was stuck. And all that to say, it was super embarrassing, deeply stressful for 12-year-old me. And I still carry some of that anxiety with me when I pray out loud in front of others. And I do think that some of that comes from something that we did in Sunday school growing up uh, called popcorn prayer. Eesh. Popcorn prayer. Um, I'm not sure if any of you are familiar or whose idea this was, but the gist is that someone would pray out loud and then could call on a peer to pray next. So when I tell you that I was so riled up with anxiety about like, what's my prayer going to be? What am I going to say? Um, I completely missed the point. I didn't hear a single word that was said, not a single prayer, none of it. Did not absorb a word. I'm just like in my own world. And I was really worried about like, who in this group have I crossed recently that may call on me to be next? So you're kind of trying to play the strategy of it all. Uh, and here's the thing. I'm going to do it at the end of this teaching, I am going to pray out loud for us. 
and let's just all agree not to make it weird, okay? Like, I'm gonna do it, and you guys are all gonna act normal about it, okay? See, in my young brain, through that experience at Katie Garvin's house, I thought the Catholics made up the Lord's Prayer. I thought they came up with it all on their own, like something to be super exclusive that would be just theirs, kind of like the Hail Mary, like a secret handshake of sorts, or a punishment to be doled out after like your sins and your confessions, you know, like 10 Our Fathers. That's how they show it in the movies, so that's kind of what I retained, and it cannot be a good thing if they're using it like that, so I was just not interested. No thank you, no ma'am, not going to memorize that. And as it turns out, I may not be the only one who is not super familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, You may have caught this recently in the news from just this last month. Let's watch together. Adjectives 200. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Ooh, rough. Uh, So embarrassing. Not a Catholic in sight there, right? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I definitely would have gotten that question right, but that does not mean that I would have been able to tell you what the word hallowed means. Um, So with that said, let's get on the same page together and read the scripture of the Lord's Prayer. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. You can follow along with the Bible in the seat in front of you or on your device, whatever you prefer. So let's read Matthew 6, 5 through 13 together. It says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so the context here for what we now know as the Lord's Prayer is Jesus is sharing with his disciples in the middle of what we now call the Sermon on the Mount, which is a pretty lengthy instructional teaching for his disciples. It lasts a few chapters in Matthew, and it covers an array of different spiritual practices and disciplines, and we are in the very middle when we get this instruction about prayer. And I know Nick touched on this too a few weeks back, but it strikes me as so interesting and atypical that Jesus is giving such explicit instruction for prayer. In so many other instances, when we encounter Jesus in the text, He is pretty out there, let's just call it. If he's asked a direct question or he's teaching on something specific, he just gets kind of like out there. Like people will be like, hey Jesus, help us with a disagreement amongst friends. Should we call it soda or should we call it pop? Like let's just end this forever. And he'll be like, there once was a coin. (laughs) Okay, sure. Uh, But here, this is different. We see very clear instruction. This is how you should pray. 
It really could not be more clear than this. Do it like this. So it makes a lot of sense that so many faith institutions, including the Catholic Church, have taken that instruction so literally and still recite this prayer word for word in our current times. And rightfully so, we can glean so much from this passage. It's something we often refer to within family ministries. We talk about how we can take the Lord's Prayer and we can kind of pull out all these different pieces as a framework for prayer. It hits on God's character, kingdom, provision, forgiveness, guidance, and protection. But does Jesus mean that this is the only way we should pray? Is this guidance or command? Should we take the essence of the prayer or should we look at the prayer in its exactness? But notice, notice this. In the Lord's Prayer, the scripture that we just read, right before it says, this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. Not, this is what you should pray. And that changes everything, right? That's completely different. I might suggest that if we pull back the lens a bit, we see that those things guide us into a posture of how we might move throughout the world so that both things are true. The words themselves, this prayer, is of great value to us as Christians, but it also invites us into a more intimate form of prayer as well. Because the truth is, sometimes it's nice to have something written down for you, like cue cards. It's just like something to recite. When your soul is weary, we can return to something ancient, and holy, and sacred, and tried, and true, and directly from the Son of God. Archbishop Justin Welby says that the Lord's Prayer is simple enough to be memorized by small children, but profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. It's the goat of prayers, okay? Like, this is it. (laughs) Now, On the other side of that coin, when we're feeling more creative or generative or more awake in our uniqueness, we can riff. We can speak openly and plainly and honestly with the divine. This is one way to pray, but this is not the only way to pray. Much like Anthony of the Desert wrote more than 16 centuries ago, perfect prayer is not to know that you are praying. And prayer can look so many different ways. There are as many prayers as there are moments, as there are children of God, which is to say innumerable. And I would wager to guess that Jesus wouldn't consider those moments wrong because they are not the Lord's prayer. We hear Paul suggest in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. This raises all sorts of questions. Some might wonder if Paul meant that we should recite this prayer ad nauseum. You'd really have it memorized. I mean, you'd have it dialed in, right? Like, you would know. You wouldn't get that Jeopardy question wrong. My thinking is that what is meant here is to make your life a prayer. To walk throughout your one wild, precious life, as Mary Oliver says, in a posture of constant prayer. As we continue to live, we continue to craft our never-ending prayer because to be human is to pray. 
Canadian psychologist David Benner beautifully describes prayer as the soul's native language and adds that our natural posture is attentive openness to the divine. To be human is to pray. We were wired for communication and conversation with God. The Lord's Prayer is given to the disciples and to us as a tool and instruction to learn from But people were praying long before even then. Our most visceral needs and desires and longings were our prayers before we even had words. Those things were genetically baked into us from the jump. We don't need to learn how to pray. We need to forget how to do anything else and return to our mother tongue. Before we had words, We had attention and openness and intuition and gut feelings. Those, in a way, are our first prayers. Before we had words, we cried for food or comfort or sleep, and those were prayers before we even knew what we were doing. And babies, if you've been around babies, babies are a great example of this. There is such a long, extensive list of reflexes that babies are born with. They come out knowing how to do certain things for their survival. It's wild. And some of them are pretty mind-blowing. I'll share um, some of my favorites. So there's the rooting reflex, which is just that if you touch a baby's face or like the side of their cheek, it will root around for food. Similarly, there's the suck reflex, where if something touches the roof of a baby's mouth, they will suck. But they also have a gag reflex, where if something is placed in their mouth, they will use their tongue to thrust it out so that they don't choke. There's the startle reflex, which means that if a baby shifts positions quickly or there's a super loud noise, they do that thing. You've probably seen it where they go... Um, And apparently, that is to get the attention of the caregiver that something might be wrong. So perhaps what David Benner is suggesting is that we have a prayer reflex of sorts. We have an instinctual need for connection with God that we've had from the jump. One of the things I learned while doing some research for this teaching while I was preparing is that some scholars believe that the Lord's Prayer if Aramaic was its original language that Jesus spoke it in, rhymed. Jesus wrote us a poem. Or perhaps a way for us to remember a little bit easier that we can and should pray to God. It's much like in school, we come up with devices to help us remember important things, right? There's so many of these. There's the one for the musical scales, every good boy deserves fudge. Or there's the one to remember the order of the planets. Let me see if I can remember. Uh, My very educated mother just served us noodles. Got it. Nailed it. She still got it. Um, There's the one to remember the order of the rainbow. Our favorite guy, Roy G. Biv, right? There's one for spelling. I before E except after C. There's one for history. Let me see if I can remember this one. Nope. Got it. Got to refer back. 59 was the date when Alaska and Hawaii became new states. I'll have to go back to that one later, I guess. I know there's one about Christopher Columbus. We are not going to talk about him today, okay? Mm -mm. And there's that terrible rhyming prayer that we pray over children before they go to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, 
I pray the Lord my soul to take. Ooh, as a child who um, had very vivid fears of being abducted, I think we can, like that's a Liam Neeson thing, I think. Uh, This is not the move. No, that prayer did not age well. That is not the vibe. But Jesus did this in a way. The rhyming prayer part, not the like instilling fear part, the prayer part. He gave us a rhyming device to remember how to pray. It's memorable, just ask the Catholics. It's short, it's short enough to tweet it, or thread it, or X it. I don't know what we're using these days. All I know is I don't think Jesus was like an Elon Musk guy, but can't speak for him. Here's another prayer device that Pete Gregg uses in his book, How to Pray. He just says this, keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. Mm. I don't think anyone can argue with that. And if sometimes we're able to lean into one or more of the tenets of the Lord's Prayer, I love that for us. I love a formal prayer moment for us. That's great. But I also love what my... uh, my personal patron saint, Anne Lamott, calls the three essential prayers. Help, thanks, wow. I love that for us too. I love a distilled prayer moment for us. Because what makes the Lord's Prayer so powerful and compelling is not its length. It's the implications that we can go to the divine creator in praise and in pardon and in petition. The Lord's Prayer is several mini prayers, kind of all in one, and the overall message is that nothing is not right for prayer. Nothing is too small, nothing is too big, nothing is too mundane, nothing is too magical to mention. For all all my uh, Real Housewives of New York fans out there, uh, it's like Bethany Frankel says, mention it all, right? I really never thought I would relate a Bravo show to the Sermon on the Mount, but I guess stranger things have happened. Many of us have journaled pages and pages of heartfelt prayers to God until we feel empty of everything burdening us. And many of us have seen something beautiful or amazing and simply said, wow, your posture, your awe, your wonder, your pain are your prayer. Wow is enough. That can be a full sentence. Wow. Both have a place in our lifelong pursuit of relationship with God. Back in my 20s, I won't tell you how long ago that was, uh, I went through a stint where I got into running. I don't know. It seemed like a really good idea at the time. I'm not sure. Uh, I got into running, and as I ran, I ran three marathons, I think, uh, with my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, and throughout the years, we trained together and with various friends, and when you spend that much time with someone, like hours each weekend, something interesting inevitably happens. When you start your runs, your long runs, you may be like in conversation, you're telling jokes, you're asking questions, you're getting caught up with each other. In our case, we're like roasting each other a little bit, maybe we're encouraging each other along the way. But eventually in the run, something happens, which is things grow silent. They just do. And I swear this is not going into like a footprints in the sand direction. This is not where God carried me, okay? This is like just telling you that at some point in time, things grow silent. And here's the thing. It doesn't mean anything in particular. 
It doesn't mean that the group is not still running together. It just means that there's a natural ebb and flow that happens when you're in constant conversation with someone, with each other. And for me, I've personally done both in prayer. I've been wordy with God. I've been terse with God. I've been speechless. And I've been absolutely abounding in sentiments when I pray. I'm not usually short on words, so that one seems like a little bit easier to access. In some dark moments for me of postpartum depression, I've sat in a rocker at 2 a.m. and pleaded with God to make something easier to cut me a break or provide moments of peace, calm, less crying, usually for me, but also maybe also for the baby, I don't know. I've spent hours in the middle of that absolute heartbreak asking God if they see me, if they care enough to spare me the pain and to ask for provision, usually for sleep, let's be real, to keep my baby safe and to give my anxiety a freaking break. But I've also been rendered speechless in God's presence. One of my very favorite thin places, which is what the Celtic Christians understood, is a place that is saturated in the Holy Spirit. It's just a place where you feel particularly floored by the presence of God. Yours could be like, I don't know, a McDonald's or a beach or maybe it's your bed. I don't know. But one of mine is a place called Cathedral Grove in Muir Woods National Monument. It's right outside of the San Francisco Bay. I would show you a picture, but it truly does not do it justice. It feels so trite, but you honestly do have to be there. And it's home to some of the tallest trees in this entire earth. They're huge. And it's recommended that you enter and exit this particular part of Muir Woods in silent contemplation. It's so quiet. And it is so stunning. It's such a God-soaked place that all I could muster, in my head, of course, because I'm nothing if not a rule follower, I would never break that rule, was, wow, wow. That's my complete sentence to God in that moment. Wow. It's praise and it's adoration, just like the Lord's Prayer instructed. Or, uh, growing up, my dad had a plaque in his office. I think it was like the mid to late 90s when he got this plaque and it like showed up in his office. Uh, And so if you can picture it, call to mind, it's leather and brass and wood and it's engraved. It's very much giving 90s executive, you know what I mean? So there's this plaque on his desk and uh, I still remember word for word what it says all these years later. It says, Lord, help me to remember that there's nothing that will happen today that you and I can't handle together. That's asking for God's protection and provision just like the Lord's prayer taught us. I recently was blessed to participate in a three-month sabbatical this spring, which was just wildly wonderful, as I'm sure you could imagine it would be. And I got to travel a little bit while I was out. And one of the trips I took was to New York for this like retreat conference thing for various pastors and priests and spiritual guides. And so I had some free time while I was in the city, and I didn't exactly know how I wanted to spend my time. 
And so there's almost like too many options. It's like the world is your oyster and therefore you have no options. I don't know. I was very proud of myself for mostly successfully navigating my way to the 9-11 museum for one of my free mornings. I'd never been before. And the subject matter would correctly suggest that it makes for a very heavy morning. Uh, Understandably, it's a super intense place. And I'm used to and accustomed to intense subject matter. So like that part I was ready for. Um, And I don't think I need to share what the context or backstory or timeline of 9-11, we mostly know those details, but there's something that stuck out to me during the beginning of the exhibits that I cannot get out of my head. I keep thinking about it. There's a photo montage of folks who were on the streets of Manhattan that morning in 2001, and they're bearing witness to the atrocities and terrors that were in motion. And there's a commonality amongst all these photos and witnesses. And once I noticed it, I kept walking to see if it would continue, if the trend would continue. And sure enough, every single photo of these witnesses had one reaction, one thing in common. Every single person had their hand over their mouth. Isn't that interesting? There wasn't a single person who didn't. Every single individual had their mouth wide open and their hand over it. I think that might be instinctual, that words could not contain their horror, their pain, their surprise, their fright. Their prayer in that moment was just to cover their mouth. Words wouldn't do it. I've continued to let this reaction wreck me and cut me wide open as a prayer of the people, a prayer for God's deliverance, just like the Lord's prayer taught us. We do talk about prayer in DCC Kids downstairs, uh, but we try to keep it simple, right? We're not talking about 9-11 downstairs, I promise. Uh, I grew up with this narrative that you have to have your eyes closed for your prayer to be effective, okay? Uh, you, co- you can't look around. You certainly can't make threatening gestures at your brothers, okay? <laughs> Just like as an example, I would never. Um, you couldn't look around. You have to keep your eyes closed. You have to keep your head down, Right? I think a kindergarten teacher initiated that, right? Like, hands to yourself, eyes on your own paper. But now, in DCC Kids, we talk about prayer as the expansive expression that it truly is. So it sounds a little bit more like some people like to close their eyes to keep them focused and to keep them from being distracted. But God will hear you either way. I love this quote from Anne of Green Gables of all places. It says this, why must people kneel down to pray? If I really wanted to pray, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd go out into a great big field all alone or in the deep, deep woods, and I'd look up into the sky, up, up, up into that lovely blue sky that looks as if there was no end to its blueness. And then I'd just feel a prayer. Similarly, if we can get creative about the expansive properties of prayer and where we commune with our divine creator, we can start to have some new experiences. I love these infographics from Dima Cohen that encourage various like, ideas about what prayer is. Prayer is like a backpack because it helps us carry our burdens and worries to God. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. So many great ideas there. I personally um, have questions about how prayer is like a soap, but um, there's no clarification given. So 
use your imagination. Um, and then the next slide talks about how we can change things up. There are all sorts of places that we can pray. I mean, who amongst us would not want to pray sitting on a tree branch? That sounds so idyllic. I'm into that. Isn't that the absolute best? I personally think we can all learn a lot from kids and their spiritual resources, and I personally also think that we could all use a little bit more illustration in our lives. Um, So now we know what the Lord's Prayer is and what it says, but what does your Lord's Prayer look like and sound like? What is Maggie's prayer or Sue's prayer or Ashley's prayer or Chad's prayer? What does it look like for you? What words and places and modalities and moments bring you into meaningful connection with God? What allows you to reflect on God's character, kingdom, provision, forgiveness, guidance, and protection? What brings you into moments of praise, pardon, and petition? In my opinion, it can and should look as individual as you are. When we look to the Lord's Prayer as a guide and a tool to use, we see that all those mini prayers are interwoven into our lives. We are human and therefore we pray. We weave an intricate and individual prayer as we move throughout our days, weeks, months, years, and lifetimes. In the words of Rabbi Abraham Heschel, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. So what does your answer sound like today in this moment? Pete Gregg describes this beautifully in his book, describes this ongoing prayer. He says, the unending chorus of human longing, a canicle of sighs and cries and chiming bells, mutterings in maternity wards, celestial oratorios, and scribbled graffiti. Mm. May that beautiful picture be an invitation to explore prayer in a new way. May it be so. Let's pray out loud here together. Creator God who hears us when we pray, we ask that you remind us today and each day of how our soul is wired to communicate with you, that our natural conversation will ebb and flow, and that nothing isn't right for prayer, and that we can experience freedom when we come to you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this room where we get to worship. And thank you for these people who love you and love each other. Be with us. Be near us. Talk to us. And remind us to talk to you. Amen.